mom deserves better than a drugstore card. This Mother's Day, surprise her with a truly special personalized card from Moonpig. Add your favorite photos, a heartfelt message, and we'll even mail it for you the same day, all for just $5. From mom to grandma, we have something to celebrate every mom in your life. Every mom deserves a Moonpig card. Get 50% off your first card at Moonpig.com. Moonpig.com We're back today with Liz from Lasting, and today we are following up on some of our trust episodes and secrets and lies and everything, and asking Liz some of the questions that we all kind of want to know about betrayal and how much is it okay to uh, go and check your partner's Instagram or your partner's um, social media and what's going on with them and behind their back or to ask them to put on their location services. She's talking to us about uh, how to have awkward conversations about sex and lots of questions that I've really been wanting to ask her since we've done some of these past episodes about betrayal and regaining trust and forgiveness. And it's, I think it's a really great conversation and I got a lot out of it. Um, and also, we're huge fans, Adam and I now, of the Lasting app. Yeah. So go check out the app. It's at buy.getlasting.com slash subscribe. That's B-U-I dot getlasting.com dot com slash subscribe you'll save 40 percent. it's only four dollars and 16 cents per month you really can't beat that so i hope you guys like this interview check it out liz answered some really fun and awesome questions i hope you like it thanks so hi liz hey we're back here with liz kalila kaliza kaliza it's a tongue twister kind of a lot of l's right it is my yeah a lot of z's <laughs> a lot of z's and a lot of yeah z is a difficult letter for me <laughs> um, all right yeah well welcome back yeah welcome <laughs> <of> back <laughs> from get lasting and now i can say last time that you were on we were sort of introducing everybody to the get lasting app but now it's safe to say that a lot of our listeners use it so um and the feedback has been incredible so you guys are awesome. yeah so you guys are it's it's perfect because you're you're right on par a lot of times with what our episodes are about I feel like when I'll check the marriage a app and everything it so it works out perfectly but um today I kind of wanted to talk about or well we wanted to talk about yeah I'm here yeah you're, you're okay, here too thanks. um I, we we wanted to talk about we just did an episode on trust we've done a bunch we've done a lot about um we did a guilt episode, a secret and lies episode, a whole lot of stuff about the gray areas of trust and, um, you know, infidelity versus, well, emotional cheating or um, just lying, betrayal, financial betrayal, all these things that come under this category of abusing someone's trust and having to gain it back and everything. And I think one of the big questions that we have the whole time that we were talking, we were trying to figure out, okay, so how do you gain back somebody's trust? And that is, I think, the big question, right? Because if we, if someone will forgive and you can get past it, okay, well now what? Yeah. And that's a huge question. Um, and I would say what you're describing, all of those circumstances where whether it's emotional betrayal um, physical betrayal, financial, right? They all fall into uh, under this category of an attachment wound or injury. You know, an attachment is the emotional bond between you and your partner. And so that, that's why trust is broken, shattered, destroyed. And so, yeah, building back trust is a process. And I think a lot of us don't want to, um, we, would, we don't want to see it as a process. You know, we want to see it as kind of a quick thing where we, we say, I'm sorry, and our partner says, okay, I forgive you, and we, we move forward. 
And a lot of couples I work with that have suffered, their relationship has suffered from infidelity. They have a hard time bearing with the process of building back trust. Um, but kind of think about it in terms of how do you build trust with kids as kids grow up, right? You give them opportunities to prove to you that you can trust them. And so the same thing has to happen in a relationship within whatever realm that is that the trust was broken. And so if it has to do with an extramarital affair, you have to build trust back um, most likely in the areas of, you know, where your partner's going, how they're spending their time, mm -hmm. being able to know that when they, when they say they're going somewhere that you can trust that they've gone somewhere. And so that's, it's very particular based on the couple and what's happened. But I'd say a huge part of it is the person that has suffered from the other person's betrayal, kind of asking them, walking with them, what is it, what, what has been broken? Where do you feel unsafe? How do you feel unsafe? And then helping them communicate to the partner, you know, I feel unsafe or I feel jealous when you go out after work and I don't know where you are. And opening up that conversation. And then sometimes, you know, I think it's, I think it is legitimate and okay for a partner to then ask, you know, I need to track you. Yeah. I was going to ask you about that. Yeah. If, if that's an area that has been, you know, if trust has been shattered in terms of this person was going out with someone else and the other partner didn't know where they were, you know, then if that partner feels safer knowing I can go on my phone and track where my partner is, right, then that needs to happen. Yeah. Um, and so it, a lot of it has to do with like, what is the part, the partner that's broken trust? Are they okay, you know, rebuilding the trust and re taking the steps to prove that they are trustworthy again? And I think that's, yeah, that's the hard part. Right. So there shouldn't be limits about, because that's one thing I, I, when Adam and I went through something that is a long story that pe people listening probably already know. Um, mm -hmm. And one of the things I had said to him always during that time was, I want you to turn on your location services. Mm -hmm. And he would never do it because he just thought, well, I shouldn't have to. Why do I? And, and I guess a little bit, I, I always wondered, well, is that, a, is that a fair thing to ask? Is it fair to go through someone's phone, even their email? Like, what, mm -hmm. to what extent is that okay? Yeah. And I, and I mean, again, it's relationship specific, but I always try to help partners frame it in terms of, um, you know, because I think likely Adam was feeling like you were monitoring him or hovering over him and that his privacy was being, you know, invaded upon. And I, so I try to help the partner that's, that feels unsafe to help them to frame it in terms of, I feel unsafe, I feel jealous, you know, what is, how is it affecting them instead of, I need to monitor you, I need to put tabs on you. Um, but to more say, I, you know, I feel really unsafe, I feel really insecure when you go out at night. Mm -hmm. And I need something, I need some way of knowing that where you are is where you say you are. Um, yeah. So to, to try to, to try to reframe it as what do you emotionally need to start to rebuild trust? But I think all of that, you know, when trust has been broken to rebuild it, all of that is, it's on the table, right? Um, whether that's having access to their email and, you know, telling them I'm going to, I need access to your email so that I feel that I, I know who you're communicating with. You know, if a partner has used social media to betray the other partner, it's legitimate to say, I don't, I need you to not use social media, right? Maybe for a time period, maybe for the rest of their relationship. Um, but I think, yeah, I think a lot of it is how it's communicated and dealt with between the two people and kind of how they engage with it, whether it becomes something where one person just feels like the other person's hovering over them and invading their independence and privacy, um, or is it more about rebuilding the emotional bond and connection? Mm. And another thing that I wanted to ask is when someone has the feeling, a gut feeling that the other person is being unfaithful or something is going on. I mean, isn't that usually, isn't that usually an indicator that something probably is going on that, I mean, I know I'm being yeah. vague, but I feel like a little bit, we need to trust our gut and know, and mm -hmm. I, I, I don't know. I feel like a lot yeah. of times people say, I think it seems like, but he says no, or she says no. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I, I'm trying, I'm thinking back, like all these, you know, examples are coming to mind. And a lot of the couples that I've worked with, the person who, you know, the, the, the non, 
the person that, that didn't have the affair, that person felt for a while that something was wrong, something was off. They suspected that the other person was being unfaithful. And often there is a sense of relief. That sounds weird, but almost this like, okay, I'm not crazy. Yeah. When, mm -hmm. when they actually find out what's happening, because, uh, you know, all of us can relate to this. The, the unknown is often scarier, bigger, um, more of a black hole than when we actually know what happened. Even though knowing your partner's betrayed you is devastating and traumatic. Um, when you don't know, you feel, you know, you feel crazy. You feel disconnected from yourself. You're questioning everything and everything's up in the air. Um, but yeah, you're, you're right there. A lot of times partners can partners know before they find out. Yeah. I mean, that makes sense because it, it takes away the element of fear and that can be a, mm -hmm. a, a very overwhelming feeling on top of knowing that if you're right, there's the devastation as well. So yeah. I guess taking one layer away and, mm -hmm. and getting that out, you know, out of your head, at least now you can know what's happening and deal yeah. and do whatever you have to do. Yeah, kind of like when people are sick and they just want a diagnosis. Mm. Yeah. And people describe the waiting period, the unknown. Right. So, you know, just torturous. Mm -hmm. yeah. And the and the relationship is it probably isn't any better. It's probably struggling anyway because this big secret is out there. So yes. just so just reveal it and it, it's either mm -hmm. gonna go one or two ways, but the relationship is probably already mm -hmm. not great. So yes. yeah. 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 I mean there are there are a few scenarios where one partner will have an affair and they're having the affair impulsively just for fun and it's not a direct like a direct re reflection of where the relationship is but most of the time the relationship is already in a state of disconnection or chaos um, or conflict so that the person is seeking the affair because of what's going on in the relationship mm -hmm. right mm -hmm. They're, they're looking outward because this is too hard. What's going on in the relationship hasn't been working for a while or is too difficult to, they feel like it's too difficult to repair. Right. Well, I remember from the last time we spoke to you and you said something that stayed in my mind that um, you said that uh, a lot of times people aren't willing to go to therapy uh, because then once you're in therapy, you have to sort of admit that you've been an active participant in whatever is going on in your relationship. Whereas yeah. you, it's easier to blame the other person. Whereas once you start in therapy and everything, you sort of have to own up to your share as well. And mm -hmm. it's not usually a one-way street. Yeah. Yeah. And that's like, you know, and if, and if, when an affair happens in a relationship, the actual, the, the affair that's happened is never the other partner's fault, right? Because we're all responsible for our actions. The partner that's unfaithful, it's he's responsible, she's responsible for what they chose to do but they are usually seeking out, you know, emotional connection, relationship, sex somewhere else because the marriage, the relationship isn't working or hasn't been working for a long time. And so what makes the repair process so hard is that both people, if they choose to stay together, have to look at the relationship before the affair. You know, after the affair has been kind of dug up and dealt with the emotional, you know, kind of mess that it's made, and relational mess, then they have to say, well, how did we get here? Right. And to, and to move forward and heal from that, they often have to say, well, we need to, we need to start over. We need to look at what went wrong and figure out how to do it differently. And so, yeah, you know, that means both people taking responsibility for how did we get here? Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think um, I was going to say that when you, when you talk about financial stuff and um, all those other things besides infidelity, all those other lies and everything. Um, it makes it a little bit harder to deal with because I think infidelity is supposedly, we always talk about that as seeming like the ultimate betrayal, mm -hmm. that that's the thing that's going to break the marriage. When sometimes some of these other acts, finances, um, you know, just lies building up or any other type of betrayal mm -hmm. it can feel sometimes just as overwhelming and I know a lot of people always say oh no you know if you if you were cheated on you wouldn't say that or um but sometimes it, the cheating at least is sort of um it's contained a little bit you can you can kind of you, you can kind of place 
the time period the this that with with some of this other stuff it is so many gray areas um that I just I don't know I kind of just wanted some validation for people who are, are who are out there feeling like they've been betrayed not infidelity but this other stuff also because you talk about social media and um a- and asking people to turn on their their gps or um being able to look through people's social media or stay off of social media or anything that stuff should sort of can be expected too when it's not just infidelity right yeah yeah you're absolutely right and you know the term i used in a, an attachment wound or injury that is based on the the person that experiences it it's based on their subjective experience of it you know, and so that sort of, whether it's abandonment, betrayal, or rejection within the relationship, it can be finding a picture of an old girlfriend in your partner's wallet. And that finding that, you know, is devastating, right? It can be after you've had a miscarriage, not feeling like your partner's there for you, right? It can be finding out that your partner has not been truthful about your finances. You know, it can be a lot of small white lies that have built up over time that have left you feeling that you can't trust your partner anymore. Mm. Um, yeah, you're, you're absolutely right. There's lots of ways that we can feel abandoned, rejected, or betrayed by our partner. I think, you know, infidelity is one of those things that it is so, um, but uh, it is so like there, right? It is very much something that happens that you can point to. Whereas some of these other things, um, I think people will try to suppress, try to not, try to ignore, try to minimize, maybe because they see, well, it's not infidelity, right? It's not, it's not like, it's not like my, it's not like she had a physical affair. Um, it's just this area that I don't, you know, that I don't feel like I can trust them in. Mm-hmm. So yeah, you're you're absolutely right. I think affairs are just more in the line, more in the spotlight. Right. Yeah. Yeah, I don't. I don't know. I always wonder about what. Why what? are you laughing? No, because that's what I've always said. Right. Because right. I, to me, you know, cheating on your partner, it just sounds like the worst thing that you can do. And there has to be so much more else wrong to make something like that happen. Unless, like you just said, it's because you feel like doing it today and you want to have some fun. Like, that's very atypical, though. Yeah. <laughs> it's such an anomaly. Oh, yeah. sure. Sure. But but to me, it just seems like there's so many layers below the surface mm-hmm. of actually going out and cheating. Mm-hmm. And I don't know. It just sounds to me that that's the biggest. That's the worst. That's something yeah. that how do you, I don't know. That That's just how, how I've always, I know there's so many other reasons to be, um, to lose trust in a partner or somebody else. Uh, but just to me, that seems the biggest. Mm-hmm. That, yeah, so that's, that's kind of why. Yeah, I, I think that's a. Uh, I think that's a popular belief, though, and but that's that that makes well, it I, hard. I don't believe it because it's like a popular thing. I'm just no, no, no. I'm just saying. Just I think that's how a lot like of people feel. Yeah, 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 yeah. I think that probably a lot of people feel like that because that's what we always equate with, you know, with being well, the ultimate. But that's like the ultimate thing in a relationship. I think like you're together because you have each other for that reason. Like you're not supposed to sleep with somebody else when you get married, when you're with another person. Mm-hmm. Like, that's what you have together. That's your thing. Mm-hmm. Right? Why are you looking at me I, like I that? I think you have a lot of things. I know, but th- that's the biggest thing. In your mind. No, what I'm saying is correct. <laughs> <laughs> right, exactly. I, I'm trying to, uh, like, explain, I guess, poorly. Right. How, to me, it just seems... Right. It, well, it, but it is one of those... It is one of the things in marriage that is just for you and your partner. Yes, like that, that, that's what you've committed to. And that's, it's something that you share that has, that does so much for your intimacy and connection. Right. And so it, it is a very important part. Um, but there definitely are other ways that we can break trust and leave our partner feeling abandoned or rejected. You know, I mean, workaholism is very much a thing that I think a lot of people don't feel they can give enough, you know, space or energy to kind of addressing, right? Because they, the partner is working for the family. Um, but there's definitely partners that are more married to their work than they are to their partner, right? In terms of how much energy and time and effort they put into work versus their relationship. Right. So I think you're both right. Yeah. <laughs> let's leave it. Let's leave it at that. I'm happy with with uh, being equal here on this. Yeah. <laughs> so I guess the the biggest question I get about all of it, and and I get 
all these people asking, okay, so is it possible? What are, what are the statistics on coming back from this? What what are the is there? I mean, I don't know if there are statistics, but how possible is it? Because I know Esther Perel always says you can have, you know, you can certainly have in your in your lifetime, you can have you know four different marriages with the same person that you're constantly rediscovering sort of and having different, which I find to be, I think we've totally gone through that where we've had different, it almost feels like a different marriage within the same marriage a lot of times. Yeah. So, so, I mean, is, it, uh, is there a lot I of hope? I, you know, I, I think there is, I don't think it's commonly talked about. And I, I just did a whole lot of research on infidelity and I don't think I came up with any statistics on marriages recovering versus not. I think that's um, a good thing, actually. I don't yeah. think there should be statistics on this. Okay. No, because if they're too <laughs> was, low, yeah. you're, maybe you'll yeah. be less inclined to try to work on it. If it's too high, maybe you won't feel, one of you might not feel like it's, such a big deal because it's easy to get over is so and unique. every situation yeah. is so different. Yeah. 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 I mean, what, what I did come across in just doing a lot of research on infidelity and um, having and working with people in that scenario is that people that couples that do have infidelity as part of their story, you know, like you said, they, they decide mutually together that they're going to divorce the old marriage and they're going to start a new one together. And if they do the work of working through what was and what now is going to be and the trauma and the mess from the infidelity, they, they can come out stronger. Um, it's kind of like the, the boiling point or the pressure point for some couples where things just had to hit that point for them to realize we need to we need to do this differently. Um, but it, you know, it takes a lot of work, but there's definitely, there's definitely hope there. Um, I would say it's not beyond hope. I think it just has to, both people have to be willing to put in the time and the work. Is that why you want to renew our vows? I do. I so, always say. Well, I really no, now I'm realizing renew. why you want oh, yeah. to, because you want to divorce me first. <laughs> oh my God, that would be amazing. <laughs> <laughs> now yeah. I get it. Do I get alimony if I still remarry you? Uh, you Got to have something to give to you first. <laughs> No, I do. I feel like who we are now, when we did our first vows, I feel like it was so stupid. First of all, we were so young. But mm -hmm. I feel like to redo it now would be so much more meaningful. We really do, I think, have a completely different and new marriage. The same connection we always had, but a, a different kind of relationship. And I think that that's a great idea. I think people maybe who have gone through that, it's a nice thing to just go and renew your vows and start again and have a second honeymoon. I don't know. Not that that's going to solve everything, but but how how likely is it, honestly, and I know you're a therapist, but how likely is it, honestly, to get through something like that without therapy? Ooh, uh, quite unlikely. Yeah, right? Yeah, because yeah, I... Yeah, I've had I've had couples show up that have tried to work through it on their own and it have been unsuccessful. And it's just, you know, they kind of dealt with it and then one person felt like the other person wasn't moving fast enough and so then they shoved it aside but one person hadn't fully healed. You know, so yeah, I, I mean I think your best chance is to find a trained marriage therapist to work through it with. Mhm. Mm yeah, I think I, I think we as you know as Americans have you know very little time and space for ourselves to process through things, whether that's grief, you know, relational issues, anything really. You know, we give ourselves such little time and space, and I think people are like that usually in marriage. We feel like things should get better faster than they do. Mm -hmm. So that should yeah. be really be the first thing on the table. If you've committed any of these acts of betrayal and you're mm -hmm. trying to to show your partner, you're really trying to show your partner that you're in it, mm -hmm. that the first thing is that you don't say no to therapy, that you mm -hmm. say yes. Yeah. 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 And I think you I think you take full responsibility for what you did and you accept wherever your partner is in the process already. Right. Whether it's been two years or a couple of weeks, you accept that your partner is here in terms of their kind of emotional dealing with it and give them time and space to ask you whatever questions and to talk through whatever needs to be talked through. And yes, and says yes to therapy. 
Yeah, and I've rarely heard of somebody, especially I think Adam is a great example of, I've rarely heard of anybody, I know a lot of, Adam was so resistant to it for so long, and I know that's mm-hmm. a lot of the feedback that I get is that the, the spouse or the partner won't go to therapy. But I rarely ever hear we went and it was a disaster. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like you rarely yeah. ever hear like we went and we realized it was a mistake. Yeah. Like the actual going to therapy? Yeah, just yeah. any any kind yeah. of thing. Yeah, just, just that having somebody else to be there to moderate, like a buffer or, right? Yeah. yeah. No, completely. Yeah. <clears throat> how could it be? I, I don't know even know how it could be a disaster. Like you're, all you're doing is talking, but with somebody who's there to help both of you. Yeah. Like what? I don't like, I don't know. Well, even you care. say that, but What's you resisted it? it for so long. So you didn't think it was going to be very helpful. No, but you're, what you're saying is that after you go to therapy, you then look back and say, that was a mistake. Right. That was a disaster. I'm saying, I don't, I'm not sure how that could be when you're just being helped to talk through what you would be doing at home by yourself. Well, I guess that's why people are resistant to it is because they think it's going to be, um, it's going to be. Uh, like torture, <laughs> you know, to sit there in a room, especially, or I, I know, but you know, I know a bunch of guys who say, oh, it's not for me. Yeah. It's, you know, yeah. it, it's just not for me therapy. It's well, for it's some not, people. You know it's- imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Not for me. It's not for anybody until it is, and then it's and then it's for you. Right. That's a good quote. Thank yeah. You. No, it's true. It's right. And, yeah, yeah. I'm gonna say I. You know, I I resisted it for I don't know however long it was. It wasn't for me. I went. You don't say it, it wasn't for you. Thought it wasn't for you. Well, I'm mm-hmm. speaking in the what person. <laughs> <laughs> I thought it wasn't for me. I Past, wouldn't, present, I, participle. Sure, exactly. Pretense. I didn't want to go. I went. I love it. It's for me. Yeah. <laughs> He's the poster boy now. Yeah. Yes. It's good stuff. You're going to walk into ther- therapy and there's going to be a poster of him on the wall with a thumbs up. <laughs> no, it's going to be Is like... Is Last Thing looking for a new poster child? Because he's available. <laughs> um... Yeah, I guess I want to also transition into um, talking about sex because that's another thing you you guys have recently relaunched. What is yeah. it? Series. Sex series. Yeah. yeah, series. Can you, you want to talk to us a little bit about that because that's a huge, um, another huge uh, topic, and I think that also obviously we're talking about infidelity and we're talking about trust and all of these things, and it's all listen, it's all intertwined um so what can you talk a little bit about your your sex series because i know that's those are some of our most popular episodes are sex episodes because i do think that people are always trying to um you know to to take it either to the next level or come back from something or rekindle so what what is involved in that yeah yeah well you know i think um we use this term emotional calls in lasting yeah we talked about this on the last episode if yeah, you want so, to briefly talk about them, that's okay. Sure, yeah. An emotional call is any way that you move toward your partner um, seeking out emotional connection. And so emotional calls can be asking your partner to unload the dishwasher, can be telling a funny joke, and it can be asking for sex, whether that's verbally or with your body language, in some way letting your partner know that you want to initiate sex. And I think it's important to reframe sex as an emotional call, right? Instead of making it like sex is this ultimate ultimate thing, but that it is one part of your relationship, one part of how you emotionally connect. And I think, um, so in the, in the sex series, what we found from the research was that um, more important than frequency and quality of sex within a relationship was emotional connection and talking about sex that those were the things that led to satisfying sex, that does lead to satisfying sex. And so working on your emotional connection and having conversations around sex will help you have a satisfying sex life. Um, in kind of the rewrite of the sex series, I, I realized that one thing that we kind of 
looked like kind of over, like missed when we did it the first time? Well, two, two big things. One was, it's easy to say, just go talk about sex with your partner. And it's so, so much harder to do that, right? Even though your partner is often your best friend, it's often someone you're very close with, having conversations about something like sex can be very awkward, uncomfortable. Um, some people just don't know how to do it. Especially when it's personal and you're not joking about it. Yes, it's easy yes. to joke Joking, about it and, and be in a group of people and make sex jokes. It's another thing to talk about your personal experience and your needs. With your with the person that's experiencing with you. And you know, and that's because sex, one, it's an emotional call. It's a way you're seeking connection. It's also such a vulnerable act with your partner. And there's so much intimacy involved. And so the the like stakes of feeling rejected are so high, right? When it comes to sex. Um, and we just most of us don't grow up in families where we learn to talk about our bodies, about sex, about emotional connection. Um, so what what I kind of realized was like, we're, it's great we're telling people go talk about sex, but first we need to address like what makes it so hard to talk about sex and how uncomfortable it can be and what comes up and what kind of is influencing how you approach those conversations. Um, and so we, we kind of start out with um, helping the user, the person using lasting to explore their inner world around sex which is everything from your family culture to how you were taught about sex to peers and relationships, your first sexual experience, whether you've experienced um, rape, abuse, molestation, how you saw, how you see sex, your gender in the media, um, within your culture. And so kind of trying to help the user to frame, here's how you've been influenced by all of these things, right? And so you're coming at sex with like an experience and an inner, inner world of approaching it. And that, that all of that influences your motivation towards sex and your attitude. Um, so even before you get to the conversation, there's all these things contributing to it. Mm. And so that, that's, that was a big part that we added to sex. Um, and then another big part that I think, I think we kind of missed in the first time was this, um, how sexual desire changes throughout relationships, which I think is what part of what you're talking about is relationships have different seasons um, and how sexual desire is not something that stays the same. Um, it's more common for a man's sexual desire to remain more constant. Um, but actually through the research I saw, a female's sexual desire will dip after one year in a committed relationship. Um, so after, after year one, a woman's sexual desire is going to go down. Wow. And yeah, what about after and, kids, is there that must be like must be negative? <laughs> it goes into the red. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Right. Yeah. Um, That's so not fair. <laughs> oh, okay. It's not fair to you. <laughs> yeah, but 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 a big thing that like with the sex theory that that I hope users will hear is like sexual desire fluctuates, and understanding that for both people in the relationship to understand that the desire does fluctuate sets them off, sets them on a, in a place to talk about it differently, to have realistic expectations and to also work together because having a low sexual desire does not mean you don't have sex. It doesn't mean you, it doesn't mean you have to say no to sex every time. Um, women actually can have a low sexual desire, start having sex and their sexual desire goes right. up. I always equate it to going to the gym. Yeah. You know what I mean? <laughs> once like you, Once you start working out. Totally. Like you're like, oh, I don't want to do it. I don't want to go. And then you do it and you're like, oh, yeah, I kind of like it. <laughs> and, I wanna, and I think women, you know, I think women are more, we're more oppressed sexually. We have been in America and we don't talk about it openly. So women don't talk about their sexual desire. They don't talk about how they approach sex. Um, but that's very common. After year one, a woman's sexual desire goes down. Um, around year seven, a woman's desire for sex is um, lower than when they first got married, but their frequency of orgasm is up and the quality of sex can be up. No oh. um, so quality. So I, I find it fascinating. Quality and satisfaction for women does not correlate with desire or libido. It's more where we I think are in our age. It's, it's about age more. And it's, and it's also about um, making it a priority and mm -hmm having realistic, realistic expectations and having conversations around it with your partner. Um, so, you know, so, so yeah. knowing, what'd you say? No, I was, no, go ahead. Go ahead. I was gonna say, like knowing that sex is not this romantic, like awesome kind of spontaneous thing that happens all the time. 
Um, but being realistic and knowing, okay, I, I don't always feel like sex, yet I'm going to choose to respond positively because I, I don't want to always respond negatively to my partner. And I'm going to, I'm going to go for it. And, oh, I actually liked it. Right. And then talking about your partner of like, you know, I don't really feel up for it, but let's get like, let's do it. Right. Um, you know, and it just, you know, with all the research that I looked at, it showed that couples that have a realistic expectation about desire fluctuating and are able to converse about it are better off in terms of satisfaction for the long haul. Well, but my one question is the one of the, mm-hmm. one, the one, one of the things is like, okay, we have a teenager in the house. We have, two, uh-huh. you know, we have an 11 year old boy who's extremely curious. We have a seven year old. And I think for a lot of couples with kids, with kids in the house, or even with not without kids in the house who are working a lot, if you can't even find time to have sex, how are you finding time to talk about it? And mm-hmm. when are we, when are you supposed to talk about it? Yeah, that's a good question. Yeah. And I, you know, I, I think, you know, that my mind immediately goes to, scheduling sex and scheduling conversations about sex right Mm -hmm. and some people are resistant to the idea of scheduling sex because they feel like it's going to take the fun the romance out of it um but most couples that try it find that it actually will heighten anticipation yeah i was gonna say it could be kind of exciting especially if you meet somewhere and do it yeah you put it in your google calendar and here's the time of day um i imagine you guys have to get quite creative if you have you know those ages of kids Mm -hmm. yeah we go away a lot (laughs) we're never home (laughs) you know but i i think also kind of figuring out for you know when can you have those conversations and making you know making them a priority scheduling them if you need to Mm -hmm. um maybe it involves talking about them after you have sex if you're at that place you know if if sex is going rather, you know, it's going okay and you have an ongoing conversation, maybe after sex, you talk about what went well and what you liked because mm. you're already, you know, you already have that time set aside. Right. Um, but it doesn't, it doesn't have to be, you know, talking about sex doesn't have to be this in-depth, lengthy conversation that happens in one sitting, right? It's, it's more important that you just have the ability to converse verbally and to talk about where, you know, that you know where each person's coming from, you know the story behind each other's sexuality, and you know where they are mentally and emotionally, and and you know what they like and dislike, and you're continually kind of building on that your partner's inner world around it. Right. We always talk about, we have, um, there's a sexual communication coach who always comes on, who's awesome, that we love, and she Mm -hmm. always recommends, um, because it's so hard to have that conversation, she made sort of this yes, no, maybe checklist that people can fill Uh out and stuff, which is super cool. And I was wondering with lasting, you said that there's something you can fill out about your your background, your sexual background or anything. Now, can you share that with your partner? Uh, Because if you, I feel like that's a really good icebreaker even if you share it when you're not with them and they can just sort of see and get a sense of it and maybe even then develop some questions to ask you about it like oh my god I had no idea or you know I just feel like that's a really good tool yes that's how that's how I feel I mean I I think lasting does that in a lot of areas of the relationship and I think sex it's especially important because sex is such a hard one to talk about so yeah, that you can share. If you sign up for Lasting, you can both get the app and you can pair, which means you're part, you see each other's answers. Um, and so you can always share and see the, see the other person's answers. And this time when I went through the sex series, I tried to make the questions about somebody's past experience. Um, the options are just like you, you can choose options. And so there's kind of, they're, and they're, you know, they're general enough that they cover a huge swath of ground. Um, but trying to make it even easier for someone to do something in terms of communicating about their sexual world. And so it'll ask you, you know, um, when you were, when you were growing up, you learned about sex in your family in the following ways, or your parents talked about it this way and there's options. Um, and so it's, it's meant to help start conversation with your partner and to kind of just, yeah, give you a little step there. Um, and then there's there's a whole another section that helps you start the conversation with your partner. And so it helps you identify what makes talking about sex hard for you, what emotions come up, and then what in particular do you want to communicate about sex? And again, there's options to choose from. Kind of what do you, what do you feel like you don't know about your partner? What do you Ooh, want to know answer, about your partner? I want to do these in an episode. <laughs> I want these answers for, oh, because we never ask each other this stuff. I want to, I think we should do an episode like that 
with uh, with lasting questions on sex. I think that would be awesome. Yeah, I'm in. Wow. Do we well, have Do we have permission to do that? <laughs> wait, wait, but the new the new edit hasn't relaunched. It'll relaunch really soon. Okay. Wait, the new version. Um, and then those are those are questions that you just you never think to. It's always like, did this feel good? Did you like that? I didn't like that. It's never well. Okay, because because we always talk about talking in the bedroom. We have very different. Um, ideas about talking about in the bedroom but I mean we I guess I've we, I've never been like why I'm just sort of like do it <laughs> <laughs> I'm never like well why do you what 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 could I be doing differently I'm just like just do it more what the hell like what's the problem yeah. <laughs> most, I mean that's how most people function right yeah. right yeah. but that's so um, interesting to yeah, have those questions accessible that you would never think to ask on your own yeah the, the, and the, the goal is to I mean it's to help you develop empathy for yourself, you know, for where you're coming from. And especially, I think, especially for women, we can get caught in kind of cognitive relationships with sex that are very unhealthy. Right. And we think that we can't be sexual. We think that we shouldn't enjoy pleasure during sex. We think, you know, just we're not worthy of it with our, if our body type isn't correct or if we, uh, yeah, we talk about that all the time with body image is that, you know, we always feel like we you watch these movies and everything and you see these women who have these perfect bodies and they're having this amazing sex. And then you look at yourself and you're like, well, shit, I don't look like that. So, well, I don't deserve to have the same kind of not, you know, I'm not giving out the same kind of quote unquote goods. Right. So I don't deserve the same kind of pleasure. So it makes, you know, makes sense that I'm not. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's yeah, it's terrible. And you're right. We need to have more empathy for ourselves and our partners need to have more empathy mm-hmm. about that because it's just not real fucking life. And yeah. Yeah, yeah definitely. I love that. I think mm-hmm. I think that's great. Um and then when we're going through distant periods, because a lot of times that happens, right? Where we sort of start to feel like roommates more than lovers. And you go through these periods where it's sort of like, you know, ships in the night and you're passing by each other. Um, how how do we keep that from happening? Or or it just seems like an endless cycle. Like, I feel like we go through that every couple months mm-hmm. where it's just, you know, three weeks have gone by, a month, a month has gone by. And I've been like, well, we haven't been intimate. We haven't, um, you know, we haven't even had like an intimate conversation. It literally just feels like, right, like every, I don't know every four or five six months right four i would have thought you would have said more more often oh shit (laughs) um i'm not saying that we go four or five or six months without having sex or without right but but like without feeling that deep connection yeah but yeah that's i mean isn't that just that's life i mean it's just because that's the problem but i don't want that to be life okay but i mean listen you can want in one hand and you can no, but you're both other, active participants. It doesn't have I know, to but, happen. But you get, you know, life life goes through phases of being how busy you are, whatever right, is well, going on in your life. Let's hear what she says. Well, I disagree. I was trying to be the expert for 10 seconds. <laughs> Keep going. You went on too long. <laughs> um, yeah, no, I mean, you know, you're you're right. It is, it is normal. There's seasons to relationships. There's seasons to marriage. I think the bit, you know, the biggest one where you see that dip is with kids, mm-hmm. right? Add kids into the mix and things get a lot more strained and harder. And, um, I, you know, I think the best thing that you can do is to make it a priority to, I mean, to one, to even have, you know, to talk to your partner, Hey, we're, we've been going through these kind of cycles and, um, to figure out for yourself, what, what is going on when you guys are feeling connected and what's going on when you're not feeling connected and what can you do to kind of build in better rhythms and connection rituals into like your days and into your weeks. Right. Um, you know, I mean, a lot of, it's very easy to, yeah, to turn into kind of teammates or housemates. Right. And some couples do that rather well after a few years and you can realize, Oh, I haven't even touched my partner in a week. Right. (laughs) We, we just cohabitate. Um, so yeah, I would say, you know, making it, making your relationship, you know, the priority, in your family and making it so that you guys are focusing on it, that you even communicate that, that to the kids and express that in front of the kids. Um, I think even if you can, if you can engage in physical contact, it doesn't have to be sex, mm-hmm. right? But when you can touch your partner and kiss your partner and make it a habit of kissing your partner, your oxytocin goes up, which is your bonding hormone. Um, and that can do, that can do small things for your relationship, but 
it is, you know, it's all about small, small steps, small efforts that you put in throughout the days and the weeks and yeah. And being realistic, realistic and knowing there are seasons where I'm going to feel more disconnected. Mm -hmm. Um, but yeah, I I think it's huge when you can build in rituals of connection and kind of patterns of relating into your days and your weeks. And so that, you know, even in the hard seasons, even in the the disconnected seasons, you know, we always kiss in the morning or we always eat dinner on Monday, Wednesday together, right? So that you know those things are there to fall back on. Yeah, and I, I think one of the things is that we're also talking about trust and I feel like we they always say, no, Brene Brown says, here I like can only quote other people because I have no knowledge on my own. But you know, that, that trust is built in the small moments and that, you know, but and that is one thing that's true because I know that one thing Adam's really good at is when we're going through some of those distant periods or whatever, I'm, you know, he knows like I cannot function in the morning without my coffee. And when we're going through those periods, he's really like every morning he brings me coffee. And to me, that's always like a big, yeah, no, yeah. you're right. No, high five. Yeah. No, for real, for real. Um, and that to me is always like, even when we're going through that, he'll come up and he'll bring me coffee in the morning. And that's like a little bit of a, I know this that you need this and I know, and I see you and I, you know, I see you're a zombie. And, and so it's little things like that, that I do the rest of the day, think about that. Like when he comes home from work, I'm like, well, he did bring me coffee this morning. I, I still didn't get sex that night. No, <laughs> no, it didn't work. I was more thinking like I could give you a hug or uh, something. That's, that's <laughs> but I do think that there's something to be said for that. Those small gestures that, um, that it, the consistency of them, like you said, and that is one thing that's so great about the app is that every day you get that five minute or three, you know, it's not, it doesn't even usually take five minutes. Um, uh, you know, reminder and just reconnection I mean you know we go on we wake up in the morning and the first thing we do is like check our social media well why can't we you know schedule three or five minutes for our relationship and yeah right yeah, when you break it down like that, right? How how do yeah. we not have three minutes? To, Absolutely, to like, and I do think it's great, and it's easy, and I mean, it's just you know, it's kind of all done for you. You're just sort of you know in the passenger seat, which is awesome. Um, yeah, and I do think it's great. Can you tell? Is there anything else that's um? Because I know a lot of people who maybe weren't following last time, um, and are new, or people who have been following, what other stuff are you guys working on? What new stuff does the app have coming? Um, and yeah, yeah, if you could tell us. We, we are currently in the process. Um, I don't think it's, I don't think it's out to all users yet, but we're currently releasing, um, a messaging component to the app. Um, so that not only can you pair with your partner, but you can actually now talk about different issues with in the app in real time. Um, so kind of like a text feature within the app, but there's also going to be a, there's also a coach part to that where every day, if you want, um, the app will essentially bring up a topic for you and your partner and you and your partner then have a space within the app where you guys can talk and respond back to each other. Oh, I love that. That is really cool. cool. Yeah. Well, so, so, so we don't have to just send each other emojis all day long like we usually do. <laughs> That's great. Yeah. Cause I, you know, our hope is that it, it does stuff outside of like that lasting helps couples connect outside of the app, you know? And so if we can help couples to just even converse within it, and then hopefully that conversation carries on outside of, you know, what they're doing in the app. Um, but just, yeah, trying to help start conversations that are about relational topics. Mm. Yes, I'm, I'm really excited about that. I think it's a going to be a really neat way that people, that users can, I mean, partners can also go in and work on the same stuff together. That's awesome. Wow. Yeah, I yeah. think that would work great for us, actually. Yeah. We text all day back and mm. forth. That's that's our only kind of But it'd be nice if there was like a direction to it. But my, yeah, but I was just going to say, it's pretty much the same thing every day. Not that, you know, it's, it's, boring in any way it's actually fun that we you know do that with each other i enjoy it but if if we had like a little push into something different and some and somebody says hey talk about this today yeah. instead of the normal you know emoji back and forth or short yeah. little snippets back yeah and that's forth, awesome i think that's a cool idea yeah yeah I'm, I'm excited to see how it helps people and for people who one of the things that i love most about the app and i i'm a huge fan of lasting we both are and um i was just gonna say for people who um always say my spouse won't 
seek counseling, my spouse will seek therapy or whatever. I love that this is like a stepping stone almost um, mm-hmm. or a supplement or however you want to use it. It's just such an easy and affordable. That is the most, that is the key, right? That's the, the I think that people mostly say it's too expensive and it's too hard to find somebody in your insurance plan, you know, a, a counselor for, an in, you know, an in-house counselor or anything. So I love that about the app. I think it's fantastic. Um, I kind of think it's a no brainer. So, um, yeah, so I just, I don't know. I love what you guys are doing and I love how you're always revamping and going back and adding new information and updating. That is so incredible. So thank you for, for doing that. And I know our, a lot of our listeners really love the app also, Mm -hmm. but thank you so much for talking to us again. We always love talking to you and, um, all right. So people could go to getlasting.com and yes. download the app. And I believe, how much is it a month? It's, uh, it's eleven ninety nine a month. Wow. That's and insanity. Yeah. yeah, as opposed to what, it, $200 a session? Free, yeah. yeah, you get a free tri- a free week if, if you choose the monthly or the year subscription. You can, try it out for, you can try it out for a week and you can pair with your partner for that week and see if you like it. I love it. Yeah, and everybody, yeah. For our, all our listeners, I know they love it. They rave about it. So, so thank uh, you so much, and we hope to have you back soon again to talk. Sure, I'd love to. All right, awesome. Yeah. All right, have a good night. Thank you, Joe. Thanks, okay, guys. Bye. are on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.